This is our last week of the series we've been going through for a while on the day of the Lord. I, I, I think I was clean shaven when we started this. I'm pretty sure. I, I, I'm, was I clean shaven when we started this? Yeah, maybe even week two I was clean shaven. So um, I hope you've learned a lot in the time it's taken me to grow this beard. Uh, no, I think, uh, man, I don't know, two, three weeks ago, everybody just looked so sad. Winter was dragging on it, but there's hope right now, right? We got Easter next week. It's a little bit warmer. I didn't wear a jacket tonight. This is, uh, this is a little bit of a happy time. For me, though, I, uh, I think it's okay for me to share this with you. I'm, Christine and I are super pumped. Last night, our, uh, our oldest, Rowan, who's five, decided to put her trust in Jesus for the first time and become a Christian. Yeah. So um, we're just so, 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 so stoked about that. And uh, I mean, we've been sharing the gospel with her. I mean, she, she probably honestly knows more about the Bible than most of you guys at this point. <laughs> Um, no, that's not totally true. Um, no, in all seriousness, no. Uh, I mean, we've just been praying for this for so long and, and sharing the gospel with her day after day and our other kids for such a long time. And, um, and it's just such a thrill to see your kids begin to respond to Jesus and, and begin to love him. And, um, and man, he loves little children. You know, he doesn't need our kids to wait till they're adults to be working in their lives and, and drawing them to himself and, and doing really significant, powerful things in their lives. And I just, as we're excited about this, I just wanted to, I mean, this isn't really connected much with, uh, or at all with the message tonight, but just encourage you parents. Um, it is so easy, I think, especially for, especially for moms, but for dads also to just feel like you're going through the doldrums. Um, and you're changing diapers, and there's a lot of little kids in this church. There's a lot of tantrums. There's a lot of disciplining. There's a lot of frustration. There's a lot of tiredness. Um, but if we as a church make Jesus Christ attractive to our kids and engage them with the gospel, I mean, from a young age, day after day, and show them with our lives what it looks like to love Jesus and be transformed by him, man, what an awesome legacy we will leave long after Long after we're dead and buried, if we can teach our kids to love the Lord and, and get down there with them and engage in their questions. And sometimes their questions are really tough. Like if you can explain the gospel, I mean, kids ask questions just like, well, how is Jesus in heaven and here at the same time? You know, like that doesn't make, they, they ask questions that you think, okay, well, I, I got to know how to answer that. Um, sometimes tougher questions than you get on the college campus, your four or five-year-old will ask you. But I, I just want to encourage you parents, um, and those of you who are not parents yet to have this vision to raise up, even if you're not married, your future kids uh, in, in Jesus' name. Um, so I, I was just going to pray here. Tonight we're, we're locking down this series on the day of the Lord. Um, and uh, to, so far during the series, for the most part, it's, it's really been a systematic overview of this biblical theme, the day of the Lord that we see all through scripture ultimately leading to this final day of judgment and salvation. And that's what it is tonight too. We're going to go through four different passages. We're, we're not getting into those passages in the same way we would if we were going through just one single book because this is a, a systematic kind of study. Uh, but I would encourage you guys to go back through these. Go, you could go back through the last five weeks and, uh, and just listen and, and meditate on these incredible promises that God has for us. Um, let me pray, though, before we're going to jump. We're going to start with 1 Peter uh, chapter 1 here in just a second, but let's pray first. Lord, thank you um, for your goodness and, and just what you've been doing in our church and in our lives. Thank you for, um, Lord, the joy that you've given us as your children, Lord. Thank you for the way that you, Lord, delight in us, God, as your kids, Lord, and you have a great inheritance for us, Lord. Um, beyond our wildest imagination. I pray tonight that you would penetrate our hearts with your word, God, that we would understand it, that we would be transformed by it, that we would live it out, God, that it would not go in one ear and out the other, but we actually would walk away transformed and be sent out, Lord, um, 
Lord, by your, your word, through your, the power of your spirit speaking to us, um, show us how to be excited about the hope we have in you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, hey, so why don't you, uh, why don't you mosey on over to First Peter here. I think that might be the first time I've ever said mosey in my life. Hopefully the last. Okay. All right. So, um, you know, we're not spending much time in the Peters here during this series because we literally just came out of a series on First Peter. Um, so hopefully these two passages tonight are going to be, my Bible's really struggling. These NIV thin lines will get you struggling and turn the page here. There we go. Goodness. That was frustrating. Man. Um, no, so we're, uh, we're not spending much time because we just came through this series in First Peter, but I, I want to read these two passages to, so that we can see um, the themes that are repeated over and over and over again through the New Testament and see that this isn't just some random passage we're not understanding properly. There are things that Jesus emphasized, the Old Testament prophets emphasized, Jesus emphasized, um, the Apostle Paul emphasized, and Jesus' disciples uh, emphasized in their writings. So that's tonight what we're looking at. We're looking at the teaching of Jesus' disciples on the day of the Lord, uh, specifically two of the big three, um, and that is Peter and John. So we're going to go through two quick passages in Peter and then two passages in the book of Revelation. So let's start with 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Okay. And really, the text is going to do most of the talking tonight, since we're going through four passages, and I'm going to make a few comments on each one, but I want you guys to be looking at these passages and trying to remember what we've, what we've read already, what we've heard already these last five weeks. Starting in verse 3, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Okay, just those two verses, are where we're, we're, that's where we're going to stop in First Peter. And I think these kind of phrases, sometimes we just skip over. But let's take a moment and just look at what Peter is saying here. Peter, who sat at Jesus' feet uh, when he was speaking to his disciples on the Mount of Olives, telling them of this day that's going to come in the future, he tells us that there is an inheritance for us. <clears throat> it's one that can never spoil or fade, that can never be taken away, and we have this inheritance through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. How glorious and awesome is this inheritance going to be? We've talked a little tiny bit, maybe in the first week or two, this idea of inheritance. And, you know, most of us, we're not, we're not inheriting anything other than junk and work from our parents. Uh, we're going to have to clean out the attic and, you know, all, all, those, all those type of things. But imagine someone, imagine Prince Charles, you know. Um, I feel bad for Prince. Christine and I talk about this. So I feel bad for Prince Charles He's, how old is he? Someone here is like super into the royals, I'm sure. <laughs> um, and you've watched all the Netflix shows. Almost 70. He's, he's almost 70. He's still waiting for his like job, uh, for his mom to die. I, let's be honest. How pumped is that guy going to be when Queen Elizabeth finally? To be the child of the longest ruling monarch in history would be a, a, a little annoying, I think. Um, <clears throat> when our parents die, we're going to get a hassle. But Prince Charles, it, I, I don't totally know the way it works, but I think he's going to become the largest landowner on earth when his mom dies. I mean, that is quite an inheritance. Imagine, though, this inheritance that we are going to receive from the one who owns it all. The one who not only owns it all, but literally can speak universes into existence with his breath. Our inheritance is coming from that God. It is going to be more glorious 
and awesome than we could possibly fathom. And we should try and fathom how incredible it's going to be. Uh, but no matter how hard we try, we, we will fail. So where is this inheritance? Peter says here that it is kept for us in heaven. He doesn't just say that it is in heaven. It's kept for us in heaven. And it reminds me of um, the Gospel of John where, where, and Peter surely would have heard this and been familiar with this as well, where Jesus says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm going to do something so special for you. There is something waiting for us that Jesus has done, that Jesus has worked on, that he wants to give us as his children. And man, as, as an imperfect father, I mean, I mess up with my kids often. I just love to give them things. I love to give them gifts. I love to make them happy. I love to do things for them that are going to make them smile. How, how much more so? is the one who created that very feeling in us parents, um, who gave us that framework of the way to even think about our children. He is excited to give us this incredible inheritance that's being kept in heaven for us. Um, but remember that language. It's going to come into play later on. So when will we receive this inheritance? Well, this passage is kind of all about answering that. we will receive this inheritance in full, at least, when Jesus returns. Look at the, look at the language here. Um, this inheritance is kept in heaven. We're shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. This is when we're going to receive this inheritance, the last time, the day of the Lord, the day that Jesus Christ comes back to the earth physically. Um, How is this different than the way believers often talk about hope and death? We've hit on this a little bit, and I, I really do hope this is one thing, and we'll talk more about this as we go through the rest of these passages, but one thing that we really take away from this series. If you've, and many, if not most, if not all, have, us, have, have grieved the death of someone who uh, was a believer, who trusted in Jesus, a loved one, someone close to us, uh, or perhaps a, a friend. When we've done that or when we do that or when we imagine doing that in the future, um, do we meditate on the inheritance that this individual will receive when Jesus returns? I, I, I think in, in my experience, most believers today in our culture and country, at least, don't, really. We think about things a little bit differently. We think mainly about the believer's soul going to be with the Lord in heaven. But the emphasis of this passage, and actually every passage we've read so far during this series, is not that. The emphasis is on what we are going to receive when Jesus comes back and raises the dead. And so... Right now, whereas most of us are somewhat separated from, maybe not everyone, but somewhat separated from the various grieving that we've encountered uh, in the past or in the future, we can think about this biblically and be prepared to meditate on this awesome future inheritance that everyone's going to receive who's in Christ when Jesus returns um, and let me put a period on that now, and, and we'll, we'll come back to it. Let's go to 2 Peter 3. Okay, I'm going to read the first 13 verses here, and then again, just make a few comments, and, and um, you may pick up much, much more than the few comments that I'm making, and that, that would be good. Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I've written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come 
scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also, the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years And a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be. You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with this promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. Okay, Um, just a few things to note on this passage. One, the day of the Lord will come like a thief. We've heard this like a million times already, right? And it gives us a clue, I think a pretty obvious clue. Peter is talking about the same thing that Jesus is talking about when he's teaching on the Mount of Olives in Matthew 24. Um, He's talking about the same thing that Paul is talking about when he's writing to the Thessalonians about the day of of the Lord. Um, Jesus Christ will come suddenly, unexpectedly, decisively like a thief in the night. Uh, and some will be excited, and some will be quite grieved and afraid. Um, all right, the second thing here that we see in this passage is the day of the Lord will appear to be delayed. It's interesting because the apostles, it certainly seems like they expected Jesus to come back real soon in their lifetime. That That is... It appears they had that expectation. The early church had that expectation. Uh, Through most generations for the last 2,000 years, there's been that expectation, um, among many at least. And I think that's a good thing. Um, Yet, it's quite evident in this passage that this day of the Lord, Jesus' return, it's going to feel like it's taking forever. Did Peter know it was going to take 2,000 years or longer? Probably not, um, maybe, but we see that not only in Peter's writing, that's really clear in Jesus' parables too. Um, he, he's describing person after person that's just waiting um, and waiting and waiting, and that many will lose hope and many will lose heart and many will... Uh, abandon this expectation of Jesus' return. But is this not the way God works over and over again throughout history? Um, There certainly was little to no expectation of the Israelites to be brought out of captivity to the Egyptians over this 400-year period. Um, Same as, as this long, long period without a prophet in Israel when they were waiting for this Messiah to come. Over and over again, God works in hopeless situations. Think of Abraham and and Sarah waiting for their child, growing old, well past the point of childbearing years. And finally, when all human effort has been expended, God comes through. This is his MO. This is what he does over and over and over again. Comes through when when many, many people lose heart. but we don't need to be those people that lose heart because this is the expectation from the biblical writers that the coming of Jesus Christ will appear to be delayed. Um, the third thing is here in this passage, God's patience in coming is not random, 
He's not just busy hanging out, you know, losing track of time. There's not an arbitrary time that he's going to come back. His patience means salvation for the elect, for the church. There is a direct connection, and we've seen this already. There's a direct connection between God's mission to bring the lost to himself and his return. Peter knows this very well because he heard Jesus talking about this. He heard Jesus say the gospel will be preached to all ethnic groups, all the world. Every single ethnic group is going to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then after that, I'm going to return. I'm going to come back. Peter knew this. Peter is reiterating this teaching here. Um, God wants to save people. He, he, he wants to bring people into his family and into his kingdom. This is what's on his heart. This is his mission. And this is why he hasn't come back yet. If he would have come back, you know, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, that wouldn't have been great for us in this room, right? Um, and, but I think that does and should bring us motivation as believers to, to just to get on it and to be ones who preach the gospel. Uh, in, our, in our Jerusalem, but to the, that are part of this gospel going to the ends of the earth. <clears throat> All right, the fourth thing here from this passage, the heavens and the earth... All that there is, all of creation, <coughs> will be destroyed by fire. And that is um, verse 7 here. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. All of creation is going to be destroyed. Um, now, I think that I wanted to bring this out because I think there's a couple misunderstandings that easily come from this that have this Gnostic flair to them. If you were here last week, we talked a little bit about uh, early Gnosticism, these, this heretical philosophy that had infiltrated the church that basically has these two contrasting things, the physical, which is evil and terrible, and the spiritual, which is good and great and wonderful. The physical is not only doesn't matter, but is, is bad. Like our physical bodies are just garbage bags. I mean, they're, they're, they're bad. They're awful uh, to be hated. And I, I have heard things over the course of my walk with Christ that are almost like pseudo-Gnosticism when thinking about the future. So hear, hear this. Two ideas that are just wrong that we can fall into. Number one, it's going to be burned up anyways. So this earth is not important. Um, and this is not like an environmentalist kick that I'm about to give. Um, I'm just saying that it's easy to think for believers that the, the, the planet earth and the, the physical universe uh, just doesn't matter. It's going to be burned up anyways. Um, this easily stems out of the belief that the physical is bad, the spiritual is good. Um, <clears throat> there's this parallel course throughout the New Testament where we see God is going to come and resurrect our physical bodies. Right? If, if I stood up here and told you tonight, like, you're going to get a glorified body someday... Therefore, your physical body, is, it just doesn't matter. God doesn't care about it. It's just worthless. It's useless. It's bad. I hope you'd start throwing rotten tomatoes at me or something like that. Um, I hope that you'd be concerned, like, what is Kimball talking about? Well, in the same way that God's going to come back and resurrect our physical bodies into these glorified bodies, he's going to do that with his creation, with the world, with the earth. The earth is broken right now. It is decaying. It is groaning. Um, it is dying in the same way our physical bodies are, but God is going to come back. Um, so, and I'll, I'll talk more about that in a second. The second thing here, I think that is a mistake to take of this idea that the heavens and the earth will be destroyed by fire, is that 
the new heavens and the new earth will be destroyed, so our souls, the non-physical part of us, are, are going to escape the earth to live spiritually with God. I think, and this is just purely my opinion, I'm basing this off of basically nothing, um, aside from conversations with people and just hearing the things that Christians have said over the course of my life and the things that I've said. And I think this might be the most common, just wrong thing that solid believers believe today, that our eternal destiny is about the soul escaping the physical world and going to be spiritually with the Lord. This is not at all the sense we've gotten from any of these passages we've read. And I've not cherry-picked these passages the last six weeks. Um, Look at the language here in this passage. The earth is going to be destroyed. The heavens and the earth, all of creation is going to be destroyed. What does that mean exactly? Does that mean like Death Star, the world blows up and our souls go to be with the Lord in heaven? Um, Well, I think we can look at the immediate context of this passage to see that, well, no, it probably doesn't mean that because just before verse 7, which I just referenced, um, Peter is saying that the earth has already been destroyed in this way. And when, when was that? The flood, yeah. The earth has already been destroyed in the flood, Noah's flood. And, and that did fundamentally change the earth, but it didn't make it into some like spiritual place where ghosts are floating around. It just made it really different. And I'm not saying the change is going to be the same, and I don't know what this new earth is going to be like, um, I can only imagine how incredible it's going to be. I, 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 I don't imagine that we're subject to all the same laws of physics that govern this universe. Uh, I imagine we probably won't be. I, I don't know if the continents are going to be, where, I mean, well, they probably won't be. The earth is going to be different. It's going to be really different, but it's going to be the earth. Um, so... You see in this passage, not just that God is going to destroy the heavens and the earth, but there will be a new, better, awesome heaven and earth, which is just a phrase for all that there is. We can, and you know, let me just say, I recognize this phrase is confusing because I think oftentimes people can think, well, does that, hold on a second, does that mean that in the future... There's an earth that's really awesome, and then there's a heaven that's really awesome, and God's hanging out with angels in heaven, and the people are hanging out on earth, and both places are just really cool, better than they are right now. That's not what this phrase means, and that's really clear from the passage in Revelation that we're about to get to. This is a phrase that's used for God's renewed creation, Uh, heaven and earth coming together, heaven really coming to earth, as we'll see, Uh, but it's not a phrase that should lead us to think of two separate places in the future. It's just a phrase for all that there is, the new heaven and new earth. We can expect God to recreate the earth, um, to recreate all of reality in a way that is going to be more glorious than we could possibly imagine. Okay, uh, I'm going to keep, keep flying here. So uh, now we're going to get to the book of Revelation. All right, so... We've just read some of what Peter said. And don't think I'm like trying to summarize the whole book of Revelation in a few minutes here. Uh, I'm not. And it would have been awesome if we could spend more time in these passages. But there's just so much. There's so much that's so rich in the New Testament on our, our future hope in this coming day of the Lord. So just a brief, brief context for the book of Revelation John, Jesus' disciple, uh, one of his, his group of three, really, that are his closest confidants, along with, along with Peter and his brother. And I want you to remember, back when we were going through the Olivet Discourse, which is just after Jesus, there's this lead-up in the book of Matthew to Jesus entering Jerusalem, um, which, by the way, today, Palm Sunday, um, we're not really talking about that today, but... We will really talk about Easter next week. And 
Anyways, as Jesus is about, he's getting to this climax where he's going to enter Jerusalem and, and his disciples and followers expected that he was going to bring a political earthly kingdom. He was going to restore Israel uh, to dominance in the world and he was going to be inserted as the king. So right before he enters Jerusalem, John's mommy comes and pulls Jesus aside and says, hey, Jesus, I mean, I don't know exactly how this came about, but obviously her sons had been talking to her, and she pulls Jesus aside and said, hey, when you enter into your kingdom, can you give my sons, you know, have one of them be at your right hand and one at your left hand? I mean, she thought this was about to happen, that Jesus was about to be the earthly political king of Israel and ruler of, of the world. And Je- I mean, Jesus is just kind of, I mean, he's so nice, so nice to her, so much nicer than I would have been, um, but uh, finds a way to just redirect, like, I mean, you guys just, you do not get it. You absolutely do not get it. You're going to, this is going to go down a lot different than you think. Um, and the one who wants to be greatest among you must learn to be a servant, must be a servant of all. And John, even, even at that, certainly did not seem to get it still. And even at Jesus' resurrection, Jesus is about to ascend into heaven. He's standing with his disciples, and his disciples are still in Acts chapter 1, asking him, are you going to restore the kingdom at this time? Like, are you going to crush the Romans who were being oppressed under and install yourself as king and give us these positions of power? This is after the resurrection. They're still asking, the disciples are still asking this question. And Jesus just... I mean, come on, guys. Seriously? I mean, he didn't say that, but that's the feeling I get from reading those passages. However, John was filled with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, and he learned to be a servant. He learned to walk out Jesus' command that the greatest would be a servant of all. And as, as opposed to being installed to this position of power that he so hoped for during Jesus' three-year ministry, and even likely after the resurrection, he suffered for his proclamation of the risen Jesus. He suffered for years and years, and he, he lived to an old age, and, and he writes the book of Revelation as a political prisoner, an exile, um, to believers who are also suffering who were oppressed. Um, it's just an incredible, incredible story. So this is the John who's writing um, in receiving this vision to encourage the church for all time, uh, particularly those who are suffering. So Revelation 21 here, the first eight verses I wanna, I'd like to read. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. And he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all of this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all the liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Okay, so right there at the end of that passage, we see yet again judgment and salvation, hand in hand. 
when we're talking about the day of the Lord, we see judgment and salvation over and over and over and over again in all of these passages for the most part. Um, we see that there will be a new, new heavens in, in earth, a new creation. The first heavens will be destroyed. And if you remember a few weeks ago, <clears throat> I think a, a paramount passage for that is Romans 8 that just talks about all of creation is groaning, it's decaying, it's dying, just like us. It's, creation is waiting for the children of God to be revealed at Jesus' coming, and creation itself will be restored and renewed. I think recreation is an appropriate term for this, that God will recreate the heavens and, and the earth. Um, in, in the same way we think of Jesus' resurrection, he was recognizable. Um, this is going to be our future hope when we're resurrected from the dead. And I think we can think about all of creation in a similar way um, to our physical bodily resurrection. Okay, notice here, though, and, and this may be a, a different, maybe something you've not noticed before, and maybe some of you are sick of me kind of pointing out these type of things, but notice the direction, what's happening in this passage. Our souls going up to be with the Lord. Are we, are we seeking God and finding God and going to God in this passage? Or really in any of the passages that we've read, the answer to that is no. God is bringing heaven to earth. This new Jerusalem, this heavenly place, this new creation, he's this, this place that he's prepared for us, this inheritance that he's prepared for us, he's bringing it to us. He's doing the work. He's coming to us. He's making a new creation. It's not us, um, it's not us leaving and going to be somewhere else with the Lord. Um, it's not our souls escaping the body and, and going to float like Casper the ghost, which I know you guys don't believe, but those are the kind of characters that are thrown out over and over again, and it just makes a mockery of the actual hope that we have in the resurrection, in the new creation, in God bringing heaven to earth to make his dwelling with us. How loving is that? How awesome is that? It, 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 this is his character. This is what he did when he took on human flesh. He came to earth to be with us. He took on a human nature so that he could make a way for us and be tempted in every way and take on sin and take the cross and rise from the dead. And in the same way, he's bringing heaven to us. He's coming to us. He is awesome. He is so good. And the best thing, the most wonderful thing and we see this in this passage about our inheritance. The number one thing is the presence of God. It is the presence of our God. Christianity is not fundamentally about what. It is fundamentally about who. The person, Jesus Christ. By his resurrection, we will share in an inheritance that is centered around relating to him an incredible relationship with God through Jesus Christ forever and ever and ever that will never get old, that will never get stale. Um, this is our future. This is what God has in store for us. Go to the next chapter here, and I want to read just the first five verses of Revelation 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the great street of the city, on each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the trees, the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. There will not need to be, um, there will they will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun for the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. Amen. You see here this tree of life. 
I want you guys to see the narrative that goes through all of Scripture and thus all of human history. <laughs> scripture starts right with the beginning, and it goes right to the end. This narrative that runs through history, the tree of life, where, where does that come from? The tree of life is in the garden, in paradise, God's initial creation where he walked with people. There was no sin. There was no curse. There was no death. There was no decay. There was a walking with God, a relating to God. Um, this was a perfect place. God is bringing us back to the garden. He's bringing us back to this perfect creation, free from decay. <clears throat> um, we see in this passage that God is a healer. He's going to heal the nations. There are some wounds that some in this room have experienced already in your life. There's, there's some wounds that will never fully heal on, on this earth and the way it stands right now and in this life before we see Jesus face to face. Um, And that's really hard. That's really, really hard. And it's okay to cry and, and grieve and be sad about loss. But know that whatever your loss is, we are going to be with the comforter, the savior forever and ever. And he will comfort us and love us and heal us fully and completely for all of eternity. And I think the things and the suffering that we've experienced on this earth will just be so small uh, compared to how beautiful and awesome his comfort is. And he's already planning this. He wants to do this. He wants to do this for you, and he will do this for you. He will do this for me. He just wants the, whole, he wants the world to know him. He wants people to be saved. So his patience means salvation for those who are going to be part of our family for all time going into the future. Let's not breeze over in this passage that there will be no curse. There's going to be no curse. <clears throat> Remember when we started talking about this biblical theme, the day of the Lord, we started with the garden, God's perfect creation. And when sin entered into the world, God bring, bring, no. <laughs> God brought... <laughs> Judgment in the form of the curse, in a breaking off of his relationship with Adam and Eve who had sent, and all of mankind, all who would follow in their line. This, that relationship that was just the heart of our very existence to walk with God was broken because of sin, and the whole creation was cursed. Yet in that curse, he gave this promise that there would be a, a child, a seed of Eve, that would come and crush the serpent's head and would ultimately provide a way for this relationship to be restored once and for all. See this as a narrative that runs all the way through the Bible. God redeeming us from the curse. It's going to be awesome when that day comes and... We're no longer subject to sin. We're no longer tempted um, and, and just drawn into sin over and over again. We're no longer subject to decay. We're no longer in a world that's passing away. When we're in a place that is free from God's curse. <clears throat> John's vision here, God brings in what still remains before us. Um, but it, it really is, man, it is just beautiful, the story that unfolds through these 66 books and, and thousands of years of human history. And even into the future, what we've not experienced yet, God redeeming his chosen people, his people that he loves. The fourth thing here from this passage is that we will see his face. We will see the face of Jesus Christ. We will, we will know in full. We, we know in part right now. We are in this already but not yet reality where we have incredible promises in Christ for the here and now, but we are waiting for something so much better, so, so, so much better um, when we see his face. And every prayer, every song, every act of sacrifice, 
every time we've suffered, every time we've taken up our cross to follow Jesus into suffering intentionally for his sake, for his name, for his kingdom, it will be worth it. Everything you do for the Lord will be worth it. When we see his face, when we see his glory, when we behold how wonderful and awesome he is in, in his fullness. And the last thing I want to point out from this passage is that his children will reign. We will reign with him. We've already heard this before. Um, Jesus made this clear. John's repeating some things he's already heard, although he's getting this vision when he's just sat at Jesus' feet listening to him teach. Those who receive reward and salvation, it's, we don't just get out of hell or get out of judgment. We will reign. We will have something to do. We're not going to be sitting around. We've got to get this, I think, imagery. There, there's, obviously, there's an incredible worship element to our future inheritance. And we're going to worship the Lord. But it's not going to be an eternity of church, like listening to a message and then singing. It's not going to be like that. And I think for some of you, I mean, some of you love church. Some of you don't like it that much. And maybe that makes you not excited for heaven. We, we, we don't know exactly what it's going to be like, of course. But we know we're going to have something significant to do that's free of burden. We're going to have work to do that matters, that's that's outside of all of our existence where work is burdensome. Even the things we love to do, sometimes we hate to do. This is not going to be our reality in the future. Okay, let me, uh, I'm running real, real, real low on time here. Um, but I want to just recap. I'm just going to go through a list of things here. And I think we have these on the screen. What are the things that we've heard through these themes that we've seen repeated over and over again as we've moved from these kind of temporal days of the Lord into this ultimate future day of the Lord where Jesus is going to return. All right, there we'll be waiting, and we're part of that right now. We're waiting for Jesus to return. There will be trials, the tribulation, difficulty. Over and over again, we see this, and we experience this. We've experienced this already, and that will uh, likely only increase. Jesus will come like a thief. This language is used over and over again in the New Testament. He's going to come. It's going to be surprising. It's going to be shocking. It's going to be sudden. It's going to be decisive. It's going to be awesome, and it's going to be terrible. The dead will be raised. There will be a physical resurrection of the dead unto salvation and or unto judgment or unto judgment, I should say. Um, and that is the next point, that there will be judgment and salvation in the future. And I think God has made that painstakingly clear, and I hope that's maybe become painstakingly clear to you of these last few weeks. The heavens and the earth will be destroyed and recreated. There will be a new reality, a new physical reality, where we will be with the Lord. In this reality, the elect, those who are part of the family of God, who've been born again as children of God, will receive immortal, imperishable resurrection bodies, bodies that are not subject to decay, bodies that don't grow old, bodies that probably, like Jesus, could walk through walls and teleport. I, we're probably going to have some senses and some things I, I would imagine that we can't quite relate to right now, uh, although some of that is just imagination. But I think it's going to be pretty sweet. Um, the elect, God's people, will be in his presence forever. We've seen this over and over, that the elect will experience this together as one. Um, this is going to happen for all of God's people at the same time. So... If you have a loved one who's died and who knew the Lord, you're going to experience the resurrection and the inheritance that Peter was talking about together with them. We're going to experience this together with the Apostle Paul. 
we're going to experience this together with Billy Graham and with those saints that have gone before us. Together, one body of Christ, all our differences set aside. No one's going to care what side of the theological camp you were on, this, this or that issue. It's not going to matter. We're going to be together, the bride of Christ, with him as one. Those outside of Christ will experience judgment and be shut out of his presence. And then lastly, the elect will reign with Christ forever in this new creation, doing significant things that matter, that are awesome, that bring us life. So um, how do we apply these things? I think the three things. One are just what, literally what we believe. Um, perhaps there have been some beliefs that you've had that you've not considered or that you have considered challenged during this series. I would encourage in our beliefs to focus on the resurrection of the dead when Jesus returns. To, 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 um, to emphasize that in our conversation. Now, you may be wondering... Um, and there's probably a lot of questions for some, some that have come up through this series, and I would encourage you to ask those and talk about those that I just we're not really addressing. We've not talked really, I don't think at all, about what's called the intermediate state in this teaching series. I just haven't talked about it. And that's what happens to us in between the time that we die and Jesus returns. Um, and what I want to say about that is that I have been intentional in not really discussing that because that is where everyone wants to go right away. When we start talking about Jesus' return, when we start talking about the resurrection, whoa, 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 what about in the meantime? What about the inner, what's called the intermediate state? That's where we want to go. That's what people talk about. I mean, in my experience, 99% of what believers talk about when we think about death, when we think about our hope, is the intermediate state. What happens in between with, it, with our soul in between the time that we die and Jesus returns. But we've seen here that there's just very little about that in the New Testament. There's very, very, very little. I mean, there's really nothing that's directly addressing that. Um, and so in our beliefs, what I'm encouraging is not that you don't believe that our souls go to be with the Lord in this intermediate state, but that our emphasis is on the future resurrection. Because that is, what the, that is what Jesus emphasized, and that is what the apostles emphasized. When they were speaking to suffering Christians who had, had loved ones that had died, and they were scared, they didn't know what the deal was, Paul talks to them about Jesus coming back and resurrecting the dead. This is where our hope should be. This is what our minds should be meditating on and thinking about primarily because that is primarily what the New Testament is, is about when it comes to our future hope. We will experience resurrection together just as Jesus has risen from the dead. In terms of our just heart application, man, let's just get excited. Let's anticipate this and get excited. You know, I mean, we, you know what it's like to be excited about something. Christine and I, are, we're renovating this house right now that was horrible, and it's like now it's only kind of horrible and it's about to be awesome. We're not, in, we're not enjoying it yet, but we're enjoying it because it's exciting. It's a, it's a little, it's not nearly as exciting as Jesus coming back, but it's a little bit exciting. And that makes us a little bit happy. We all know what that's like with earthly things. Let's be people like that, but times 10,000 when it comes to just getting pumped up and excited about this incredible inheritance that God has for us. And I, I hope as we've spent time talking about what that is, that it, it will cause us to understand it and get excited about it more. Um, uh, one more thing on just our heart application when you know you're going to win the game, it just changes the way you play. It gives you a confidence and a freedom. Um, you're going to feel a lot different playing basketball with a bunch of four-year-olds <laughs> than you are with, you know, some elite athlete. Um, I hope. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Some of you actually might not. Depends on the four-year-old. We can have that kind of confidence. No one can take away what Jesus has prepared for you. No one, no failure can take that away. It doesn't matter what happens to our church or your career or even your life or your physical body in in this life right now. No one and nothing can take away the inheritance that God has prepared for you. Man, that should give us a tremendous confidence in really just being bold for Jesus Christ. In terms of how this, these ideas of this coming day of the Lord should transform our actions, it should give us just a gratitude where we are so grateful that we cannot do anything other than love and serve the Lord. The other application is we, we should meditate on these things and consider that our genuine citizenship is in heaven. There is a place that has been prepared for us that God, he's going to bring that to earth so that we can reign with him and live with him forever and ever. These are things that should not um, be considered once a year or twice a year or when it comes up in a teaching, but things that we should meditate on regularly, daily, and uh, think about what's in store for us when Jesus returns. Um, the third and second and last application here is, man, we got to share the gospel. We've got to share the gospel because as awesome as this day of the Lord is going to be for the children of God, it's going to be horrific and terrible for those who don't know Christ. There will be eternal reward and eternal judgment, whatever that looks like. I want people to know the hope of the resurrection of Jesus Christ that we can share in. Do you desperately want people to be part of the family of God? We've seen that this is God's objective. This is his heart. This is what he wants. He desires all to come to know him. If we really believe these things, we've got to not share the gospel begrudgingly, but be like the Apostle Paul, be compelled. Like We don't have a choice. We do not, we have to share the gospel with those we interact with. We have to tell them of the hope they can have in Christ in the coming judgment. We, we must. And the last thing is that we are people that encourage one another with these truths. Like uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, 11, which we talked about a couple weeks ago. In light of all these things, all the hope we have, we, we should encourage one another lift one, one another up, remind one another of the hope and the inheritance we have. Um, Matt, you can go ahead and come up here, bro. Um, we're, we're going pretty late tonight. But you know what? We have baptism, and we always go light on baptism nights. Um, and we don't have a planned baptism. So... I've taken an extra few minutes. Um, <clears throat> oh. <laughs> Let's be people transformed, transformed by our hope that Jesus is coming back to raise the dead. Amen. Hey, if you want to pursue baptism tonight, this is a command that Jesus has given us for all who um, belong to him, who've put their trust in him, to be baptized. You don't have to go through a class. You don't have to jump through a bunch of hoops. You can just jump in. This is a representation of what happens when we die to our old life and, and Christ raises us to this new life as we go down in the water and, and come back up. If, that's, if you want to, to be baptized tonight, I'm going to be just standing over there as we sing one song here. Um, and... Uh, just come, come talk to me, and we'll make it happen. We got clothes, we got towels, we got all that stuff. You can, you can jump in tonight. And if you're thinking about it, just, man, just do it. Just do it. Let's pray. Lord, um, thank you so much for your love for us, God, and, and uh, thank you for the inheritance that you've prepared for us, that you're bringing to us. And thank you for this new reality we're going to live in for all of eternity, free from the curse, free from sin, 
uh, free from decay, free from death, Lord, where you will dry every tear. And Lord, the foundation of our existence will be relating perfectly to you, our King, our Savior, seeing your face, Lord, serving you. I pray, God, that you would give us just a tremendous joy in that and that you would help us to live our lives in light of what you've promised, God. We love you, God. Um, We love you so much, Lord. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.